The following podcast was recorded on Tuesday, May 4th, 2021, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at biancoresearch.com or arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to Talking Data. I'm Kristen Radish of Arbor Research and Trading, and I'm joined today by Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. Today, we're gonna to be talking about inflation, supply chain, supply chain and interest rates, how they're reacting to everything. Um, ben, why don't you get us started off today with the latest on inflation, what's happening? Well, it, the funny, it's it's funny, you know, the financial media has gotten so hot on this story, so we really can't turn on CNBC, Bloomberg, or anywhere else without hearing about, you know, impending inflation. Um, and in some ways, there's some, you know, evidence here that we need to be concerned. Uh, I think uh, Jim Bianco's group, uh, kind of in a similar vein to what we did, showed that commodities, spot commodities, are producing some of their, their best returns year to date at this point in a year. We did a similar thing looking at global economic rebounds, meaning that better than 50% of OECD economies are growing or seeing, you know, rising leading indicators. And when that's happened, uh, this this rebound um, in commodities is actually the strongest on record looking back to the 1960s. So there is some concern, and that's a chart we have up there, um, that this will have lingering effects. And there's some truth to that. If you do look historically at the burst in intermediate good prices, historically, in relation to PPI, it's not just base effects. There is a lingering impact that can last for you know one to three years of higher PPI, uh, higher producer prices, and ultimately higher consumer prices. So one thing I'm watching on the consumer side really quickly is these these shortages uh, that have occurred due to the supply chain that we'll get into here have caused flexible prices to just rocket higher into double digit territory on a three month analyzed basis. It's still up there. We have sticky prices that are the more important component here that the Fed will be worried about. Those are pushing well above 2% on a three month annualized basis. But like we talked about in the last podcast, the correlation between those two have, um, you know, they're the most in sync. I think we have a correlation on a rolling three year basis of 0.65. That's the highest on record. So that means that typically two components that aren't of inflation that really aren't that connected are all of a sudden seemingly connected. And that that gets into this fervent demand due to um, uh, fiscal policy. And then these shortages uh, in terms of getting you know, producers getting their hands on intermediate goods, producing them, and then getting that back to uh, to the end consumer. Now, a market's perspective, uh, it's been an interesting past month, I would say, and kind of more or less a snooze fest on the inflation expectations front. So we have investors, yes, somewhat chasing this story, um, you know, break-evens on the 10-year, somewhere around 230, 240 basis points. That's right where we'd expect them to be based on our risk assets modeling, uh, using like things like the equities, commodities, and so on to say where tips break even should be. Um, uh, but um, the outlook here has kind of gotten a little bit more ho-hum. So flows into tips, yes, remain somewhat fervent, maybe on a rolling one month basis around 2 billion uh, per month, but now all of a sudden plain vanilla treasuries are, are catching a little bit of a bid, a little bit of interest, and the, the rolling flows between tips and nominal treasuries have actually gone flat. So 
we're at this key juncture. Um, and are we going to price in the right side tail or not? Are, are investors going to chase the story or not? That's what we need to see here going forward. And that's going to be on this inflation data and sticky data really rising going forward. Ben, I think you're right that you can't get away from talking about inflation out of financial uh, media. You can't get away from it if you're reading People Magazine at this point. Everybody is talking about it right now. I think my mother even called me the other day and asked me about <laughs> rising prices as well, too. Uh, but um, <clears throat> you're right about with commodity prices uh, zooming higher left and right, that that is going to, that's a leading indicator, PPI, which is supposed to be a leading indicator, CPI, that's typically the way <clears throat> that, the, that the chain would work. And we're going to have to see whether or not that, that continues. And I would agree with you, and I think this is the thing that, you know, some people are probably screaming at us right now, yelling the word transitory, transitory. It's all going to go up, and then it's going to start to dissipate after that in the second half of the year. Um, inflation is a mindset as much as it is a mechanical property. And what I mean by that is that's why the Fed uses the words well-anchored. As long as you believe that if prices aren't going up, you're going to be resident to uh, raise prices. Think of Procter and Gamble. Last month, Procter and Gamble announced that in September they're going to raise their prices. In September, why don't you just raise them last month? And that's because they want to put out a series of like position papers explaining why they're going to raise prices. You don't need to do that. You just need to say diapers were X and now they're Y, and there you go, and we're done. Um, so they're still thinking that the world is well anchored and they have to justify this. But if we get to a point where everybody starts raising prices and they look around and go, I didn't lose market share and it helped to offset some of my higher input costs, um, then it becomes unanchored again. And then we've got this, this environment where people are not afraid to raise prices. That's what I think the Fed has to be worried about when it comes from here. So it's not so much that people are going to raise prices, but if there's a positive experience from it, they won't be so hesitant to do it again in the future. Last thought for you. Um, why would prices become unanchored? This period right now is unlike anything we've ever seen before. The economy's coming back strong. We've got, everybody's got money stuffed in their pockets as well too. The last stimulus check has pushed the savings rate out to 27%. That is a number that pre-pandemic if I told you the savings rate would ever get back to 27%, you would have said that has to be an error. It never goes to that level, but it is right now. So everybody's stuffed with money. They're just waiting for confidence to spend. The supply chain, which we'll talk about in a second, is not giving us what we want, at least for right now. And so why should things be anchored in an environment where everything is unanchored? And let's throw in the Fed doesn't care about inflation anymore. They just want the unemployment rate as low as possible. So you've got a really ripe situation here where you could really change the mindset on inflation in the next six to 12 months. And if you do that, I understand the Fed says they've got the tools to deal with unwanted inflation. That's the words they use, unwanted inflation. And I've joked, even on this podcast, I've got a bone saw to deal with gangrene because once that mentality sinks in, oh, I should be raising prices and it's okay to raise prices. It takes a lot to break that mentality. It's not just a couple of 25s and then everybody, everything falls back in the line. It could take a lot more than that. But let's see if we actually get there.
Let me so, make one quick comment too. The 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 big one of the big things for me in relation to this, and exactly what you're saying, Jim, too, is that we've we've lived in an era since the 1980s. I was born in 1980, so um, <laughs> that we've seen a stair step step lower every single recession, a new regime in sticky prices or core inflation, and that has been you know the thing. That's just what's happened. Um, and so given this this unique different recession. Uh, this could be the first time, given the intense intensifying correlation between sticky and flexible prices, that we see sticky inflation and core inflation actually rise stair step higher. And that is a substantial shift. I mean, that is something that just has not happened and that will have ramifications. That doesn't mean that we need to run on with our hair on fire or, or you know, stocks are going to get crashed, but it means that the, the inflation game of uh, expecting lower and lower inflation, inflation not being a problem, will be gone and it's something we have to consider it's an inflation premium and that will percolate into any and all markets so let's not let's talk next about the supply chain um, there's a lot going on in terms of you look at the housing market you've got lumber prices through the roof you look at the auto market and uh, it's very hard to get a lot of the auto components so there's a drive for those used cars um, who wants to start us off jim would you like to talk about that first yeah, I'll start off with the supply chain. I guess I'll throw in my little anecdote I told you guys before. I broke my bicycle. Uh, it's actually a road bike um, last week. And uh, uh, the manufacturer promised that they would replace the frame. And they told me with a straight face, oh, yeah, we'll give you a new frame first quarter of next year. I can't go 10 months without my bike. I want a new bike like tomorrow. So that's part of the supply chain problem because most bikes are made out of Taiwan. And there's a giant demand for them. And it's very, very difficult to find anything along those lines. Um, when you're faced with a supply chain problem, <clears throat> you've got one of two choices you can do. You can raise your prices or you can ration your product. This is something we've talked about a lot. And I think we've got a chart of it as far as delivery times that uh, are being reported by the regional Fed surveys and uh, the uh, ISM is at a 70-year high. So everybody's doing like that bicycle manufacturer's doing, like, oh, yeah, 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 you will get to a very good price. We got you written down for January. Now it's May. It's early May. I don't want it in January. I want it Friday is, is, is what the problem is that everybody's going to start to face. Well, those supply chain considerations now are starting to really, really bite. Now, one of the mistakes I think people are making is, you'll hear a bunch of economists go, well, this is just because the economy shut down and the supply chain is not running properly. But once we're past hurting, once we get to herd immunity and we get, we get past this and the supply chain gets running, all of this will go away. We got a second chart here that shows you uh, the container ra uh, rates, uh, shipping rates between China and the United States. And these rates are booming. Now, if this was a supply chain problem, look, they're not making the stuff then these container rates would be plummeting because these ships would be sitting around with nothing to do. These ships are being run over time and being pushed to go as far as they can. And that's why these rates are going up. The demand is high. So you're seeing rationing of product because of high demand. The next thing you do once you got to a 70-year extreme in rationing, you start raising your prices. And a third chart I'll throw up there for you to look at is the um, uh, the this, uh, the uh, average price is paid according to these same surveys that are showing the, uh, uh, the the delivery times being extended. 
So the average price is paid on all of the regional Federal Reserve and ISM surveys. This chart shows that average, that as, uh, as a measure of its, from its average, deviation from its average, it's at a 41-year high. So it's all coming right now. And I'll conclude with what I said in the last section. It really comes down to what do people think they're doing here? Supplies are being squeezed. I'm going to raise my prices. But just for a little while until everything gets back to normal, then I'm going to drop them again. Or do they raise their prices and go, look, it's a new era. Everything's changed. I feel good about raising my prices because I'm getting more money and I'm not losing market share. Maybe I ought to keep them here and maybe I ought to think about raising them again. Which mentality do we go? I think we go towards the inflation mentality, but that's what I think. Let's see how things play out in the second half of the year. Yeah, Jim, uh, you know, a lot, I've done this. A lot of people like to say, well, you know, the price is paid, especially ISM. When we get to such extremes like this, I've usually marked the peak um, in, in realized inflation. But again, this is such a unique scenario and we're not even getting into the inventory rebuilding process. So all of the goods that are coming on these containers, specifically to the US, are meeting past demand or current demand uh, at best and not inventory rebuilding. So it's not like the experience you saw in 2010, 2011 necessarily. Uh, this is such fervent demand and on the, on the ground from packagers, shippers, producers, all of the quotes that we read have to do with expectations. This issue, this phenomenon of high container rates and supply chain dysfunction will persist into you know December this year at the very earliest. So that's a, that's an extended period. So the Suez Canal blockage, all that stuff, um, you know, was a big deal. And we thought it'd be transitory, um, but uh, you know, there's a lot of indications that this this isn't. Um, now, what does that mean? How high inflation go? I don't know. Um, uh, but nonetheless, I'm just concerned about inflation premium showing up within markets. Um, and uh, I, again, like I said, I think that will be a, a kind of a game changer. Hey Ben, you didn't give us your um, your antidote that you're going scuba diving for fallen shipping containers, right? To try and get some free stuff. Why oh yes, that's another one. We were talking about this. This is a wild story. So again, you know, all this crap seems to to hit in 2020 and now 2021. You know, the worst things that can happen are you know are happening. Uh, but you know, we're seeing another thing that phenomenon that's happened within containers and shipping is we, due to winds, due to weather, um, and a whole host of other issues. Just you know, being at sea for so much longer, the amount of lost containers is is uh, abnormally high, if not near record highs. I can't remember what the number is, and how I think it's in the 150, 160 million dollars since the uh, holiday. I have to double check that. Um, but on top of this, there's just goods that are ended up in the bottom, you know, in the Marinus Trench and other places that are now being used by squid and octopus. So um, right. another thing to throw on the, you know, to throw into a wrench into all of this. Yeah. So Ben's going to go along scuba gear to go find some of that free stuff. That's <laughs> probably should. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's end today by talking about uh, the reaction of interest rates. How are how are interest rates reacting to all of this news? Yeah, I can go first. So yeah, interest rates, you know, we've seen uh, 10 year yields have actually dropped a little bit. Now we have, we might as well talk about this, Jim, you know, Yellen's strange comment that, you know, higher rates might be needed to, to squash uh, potentially the ferventness that is occurring within risk assets, which is pretty bizarre. Uh, I'm sure Powell's kind of squirming a little bit. And I think that's had something to do now recently with the drop in yields. Um, and also there's a little bit of a strange, what I've noticed in sentiment, strange shift, a little bit bearish 
across small investors in relation to the stock market. And then we can measure this by looking at their search activity for bullish versus bearish search, you know, kind of conditions or topics. And that's turned decisively bearish for the first time since early May of 2020. So I, I'm starting to question and think a lot about what happens if some of these bigger items that everyone's been afraid of come to fruition, meaning good things, meaning that we start to see, you know, these 900,000 million uh, job prints continue. We start to see offices reopen and there's a more of a flood of people using transit bus services, which surge activity is suggesting. Um, and consumer demand remains high, you know, with or without a continued fiscal stimulus. Some of these things are big things we've been waiting for. And is this the case where we get things kind of priced in? Um, and then that will, that's going to be, you know, again, create an interesting scenario for safe assets. If we get a little bit of wobble and risk assets and in between what's going to be important again, will be this inflation story in terms of that's what will have to drive yields higher. And if you look at the drivers of nominal yields, we talked about this last time, the correlation of tips break evens to nominal yields is increasing from a, from abysmal levels, while real yields still remain quite connected to nominal yields. But that means the inflation story is becoming more important. So the direction of yields is going to be a tough one, maybe over the next four to eight, 16 weeks. But I think all the recipes are there still for you know a 2% plus 10-year note yield. It's just a matter of how much do we need to work out this oversold condition? How much do we need to work out you know strange comments from Yellen that's a, a definitely in um, in contrast to Powell at all, and so on. Yeah, let me start real quick with the comments from Yellen and just uh, quickly opine that they're completely inappropriate. She forgot she's the Treasury Secretary. She forgot that she believes that there's an independence between the Fed and the Treasury. And so she thought she was for a brief moment, the, the Federal Reserve Chairman again, talking about there might become a time to raise rates. Janet, you're not supposed to open your mouth about that. It's not your call, it's not your concern. It's the Federal Reserve's concern. Unless you're trying to tell us, Janet, that you really are the Federal Reserve Chairman right now and Paul is just your first lieutenant. Uh, as well. That's what I mean by that. Those comments were completely bizarre and inappropriate for her to say that, uh, especially after her in the Trump administration bristling at Donald Trump telling her what to do and then eventually telling Powell what to do. And now she seems to be doing the same thing to Jay Powell, at least with nice language instead of mean language like Trump did. But to your larger point about interest rates heading higher, interest rates, remember, they were 50 basis points last August, and they shot up to 180, 177 or so. And in February and March, they were on this relentless rise. And everybody said, where's the inflation? Well, we're seeing it now. Markets tend to lead, and markets tend to have what's called the random walk higher. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now. Last April 15th, we had that massive down day in bond yields when we hit 153 on a low we were down like 12 basis points in the day for the 10-year note and everybody said that's it this is the breakout towards lower yields we're three and a half weeks later we haven't gone an inch lower um since that as well too so from a technical standpoint i think we're going to see a more of a consolidation and a chop here in the market setting the stage eventually for a move to two percent and I have a sneaky feeling that as you do these chops, you know, putting my technical analyst hat on, when the market breaks, it usually goes really fast. So it's you know going to be one of these things where 
Bond yields aren't doing anything. Bond yields aren't doing anything. Bond yields aren't doing anything. Holy crap, look at what bond yields just did. That's kind of the way that it, that these moves tend to be as we go. So we're still in the kind of sideways action, but I do think that the risk definitely is, like Ben said, you know, 2%, if not higher. Well, thank you both for your thoughts today, and thank you everyone for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For further information, you can contact us by emailing Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.